Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to episode 39 of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. This episode is for the week of December 26, 2021. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Brian Reynolds, Vice President of Marketing uh, for Episcopal Retirement Services. And I'm here with Kristen Davenport, Director of Communications for ERS and our Executive Producer. How are you, Kristen? Hey, I'm doing well, enjoying this uh, holiday week and uh, looking forward to connecting with you on our podcast today. This is great. Absolutely. It's it's the holidays and it's always nice to spend time with our families and, and friends where we can. Uh, so let's get this uh, episode kicked off. The Linkage podcast is dedicated to educating our audience about issues regarding aging, informing people about the mission of ERS and how that comes to life in our everyday interactions with residents, clients, families, and staff members. So Kristen, you want to tell us about our upcoming show? I do, Brian. So today we have with us uh, two residents from uh, Dupree House in Hyde Park, Dean Colville and Marv Collins, and uh, get to hear about the things that they're uh, getting to do around in and around their community and even uh, getting out in the broader Cincinnati community a bit this year. Then we will check in with our president and CEO, Laura Lamb, to hear what's happening all around the ERS universe. And then finally, we get to connect with Beverly Edwards. Beverly is the new vice president for residential health care for ERS. Not new to our company, but new to that role. And Brian, you get to talk with Beverly all about uh, that transition. Yeah, so excited for Beverly and uh, looking forward to uh, bringing our conversation uh, to our audience. So with that said, Kristen, you want to introduce our first guest? I do. I met uh, Marv and Dean, who are residents at Dupree House, a few months back when we were doing a photo shoot mm-hmm. um, that featured them and uh, got to find out a little bit about them. And, and I knew right off the bat that they'd be great guests for our podcast. So I was excited to sit down with them um, a few weeks back. And uh, here is my conversation with Marv and Dean. Marv and Dean, um, welcome to my podcast here um, with ERS. I'm so happy to have you with us today. Thank you very much. We're glad to be here. We're looking out our window. It's a beautiful sunny day, so we're ready to get out. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, thanks for taking time out of your day to to talk to um, me and and our listeners. Um, uh, What kinds of things have you been doing there around Dupree House this week? Well, actually, one of the interesting aspects since we moved here, Marv had an organ miner in college, and there's a wonderful electronic organ in the chapel, and it's so frequently used that he goes down Mm. late afternoon every day, he can, and practices, and he just loves it. And I go sometimes to the fitness center, while he's in the chapel, and then later on over to listen to him finish up. Well, you know, my mentioned the man named Musical, and some friends of ours go with us, Barb and Gary. And afterwards, we went down to the boathouse on the river, Montgomery Boathouse. Yes. And it had been so much, so long that since we have been there, <laughs> it was like finding a new place in our lives because we didn't remember anything about it. Well, that's wonderful. Tell us more about the matinee musicale. Where do you go to to see that, and what what's it like? Well, the matinee musicale is uh, it's an organization that's over a hundred years old, and they have the most wonderful gifted artisans because they have the funds for it, and they perform most of their concerts in Memorial Hall at three o'clock on Sunday. Maybe you want to tell her about the wonderful tenor from New Zealand? Oh, well, there's one of the, um, I can't remember his name. Do you, uh, wonderful tenor. Patty Penny. Patty Penny uh, or something like that. And he was here two years ago. And everybody just, he was so amazing. People were just screaming. And, of course, during the pandemic, uh, 
there was no matinee musicale. So the this last year they had this Patti Penny back again, and for it was quite well attended, but not you know we were still <laughs> edging out of the quarantine bit, and he was just fantastic. But every I I don't remember any. Um, event with the Manly Musical that we haven't truly enjoyed. The artists are who have performed here, maybe in their youth or in their early careers, many are very, very, very well-known musicians. And on Sunday, we saw a young man who was about, uh, I think he's only about 20, and he's um, <laughs> he's his mother and father, I think it was a very uh, what several a lot of mixed up countries and their origins several origins so his name was Albert or Albert in one of the languages and Al and uh, Alberto in the Spanish I think Alberto Cano Smith he was absolutely incredible his fingers went so fast for uh, every time he sat down I, I just was fortunate to be able to see his his hands, and it was just he was incredible, and everybody truly enjoyed him. So, well, man, a man a musical is something that a lot of people should know about. For many years, Matinee Musical would have their concerts in the Sonic Auditorium downtown. Oh yes. Well, of course. Parking is now a problem for everybody, and right. mobility is a problem for a lot of us. Mm -hmm. So we really like it at Memorial Hall because when they renovated it, they put elevators in it that you can step into from the ground floor. Nice, and yes. And the auditorium is on the second floor. So that makes it very helpful. That is wonderful. That is, uh, I... I attend quite a few of the arts performances around Cincinnati, and I've never gotten to go to the matinee musicale now. So I've got to put that one back right up on top of my list. Um, you've really oh. made me very interested in wanting to go and, and hear those artists. That's That sounds wonderful. Well, they have about five concerts a season, and um, it's so reasonable that you always get the subscription and the way they've promoted it now at Memorial Hall, they also include a parking pass in the garage across the street. And that <laughs> that's really nice. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds fantastic. Well, wonderful. Um, and then I think, did you say you also attended recently another, um, the symphony? Is that right? You know, we were so happy to be back at the symphony again because we had this long time with no regular symphonic music mm -hmm. and we're very fond of symphonic music so we just felt so completely satisfied sitting there listening to this incredible orchestra we have here yes they had a new work a commissioned work which was of course you never know what that's going to be like and it was really quite intriguing and pretty Well, that's they had a fairly good audience, too. Yeah. So over at Music Hall, which is now just, I mean, it's always been an amazing place to to see and hear a concert. But with the renovate, the recent renovation, it's just spectacular there. It really is. Well, the acoustics are better than they've ever been. Right. Right. And there is something about that live um, performance uh, for a symphony. It's just... Um, it, it's hard to match it um, any other way other than just being there in the room. Just something that we've always enjoyed. And mm -hmm. we were very fortunate here at Dupree House because they have a bus that will take us to Music Hall and drop us off right in front. Mm -hmm. and that's wonderful for us. And actually, it's one of the reasons we decided to move here. Wow. Of the transportation to the various events. Yes, yes. It does. It does make it nice because um, 
you know, eliminating that um, worry of driving through traffic. And sometimes the weather's not always so nice. And um, it, it makes it just such a more enjoyable evening when you take that, that factor out of the equation. Our drivers, Stephanie, we've met and Dan, we've met, they are just such nice people and so helpful. Mm -hmm. We couldn't ask anything more pleasant. Oh, that's wonderful. When I first met you, I think we talked a little bit about um, how you used to enjoy um, entertaining at your home over in Anderson. Um, Will you, you, Marv, tell us the story about um, the pimento cheese? Because uh, you were kind enough to share that um, with our gala uh, recipe book. We we had a food-themed gala this year. Um, a taste for giving, and uh, we did a recipe book, and you were included in that. Why don't you tell your story about your your special recipe? Well, uh, Annalisa called us. Uh, Annalisa, pardon me, that's the way she pronounced the name. She called us and asked us. She said someone said that we might have a recipe or something that we would like to share, and I said, well, and I, the first thing that came to my mind was pimento cheese because I do make it occasionally here even in our tiny kitchen and i don't know where the recipe actually originated but i you know in all my childhood and my adulthood my mom would would make this pimento cheese recipe and if we were having family gatherings or something you know they people would say well mary do the pimento cheese and the I don't know where it originated, but the secret, it was the, instead of mayonnaise, she made this, uh, the the mayonnaise, quote unquote, uh, with an egg and two tablespoons of flour and about half a cup of sugar, you know, or to taste, and some vinegar, and, he, and boiled this on the, very gently for just a few minutes, and it thickens. Mm-hmm. And then she added pimentos and um, pickle relish. Mm. Well, actually, she did pickles. She did this by the old-fashioned, uh, what did they call that? A food, they were hand grinder. A food mill or a hand grind, mm-hmm. grinder, and she would attach it to a, a one shelf. of the cabinet shelves. And she would uh, get American cheese. And grind it up, and as she did this, she would add some pimentos and some, uh, I think, just sweet pickles usually. Mm-hmm. And then that would be partially mixed, you know, by the time it got out of the grinder, and then she would add the sauce to it. And our whole family, just <laughs> everybody, I think, if we liked Mary's pimento cheese, mm-hmm. and I have and shared it with a few people and the ones that got it said oh my god that was delicious i've never had anything like that before but then there are lots of pimento cheeses but <laughs> the funny thing was uh, these friends that we were being alluded to with barb and gary i'll just use their names <laughs> um we would go to to different theater things and if they picked us up at our house. We, you know, when we came back, we would say, "Well, come in. We'll have a drink and and something." And one time, I had pimento cheese, and uh, they came in, and and we we had some wine, and and Gary started. Eating. We all had pimento cheese, and it, I didn't say what it was. I just said it was a cheese spread, I guess. And I I put it on the table and. Gary started eating the pimento cheese, and I'll swear I just was sort of astounded at how much of it he had eaten. <laughs> and he said, "Oh, so wonderful, Mark! Uh, give me the recipe, please." I said, "Okay, I will. I'll type it out for you." And so they have a um, New Year's Day gathering of people who bring things, you know, for it's a an open house kind of thing. And so I decided I would take the pimento cheese along with the recipe for Gary, and I put it on, on the table in the kitchen where everybody was bringing food. 
He said, what's that, Mark? I said, well, it's the pimento cheese you like so much, and I brought you the recipe. He said, oh, yes, pimento cheese. I can't stand pimento cheese. <laughs> and I said, well, why did you ask me for a recipe when you ate half the dish that I had on the table back then? And he, to this day, he says that he did not ask for the recipe, and he did not eat all the cheese. <laughs> So I have to rim him quite a lot. That is awesome. That's, what, that's one but, of those. You know, that's my amazing thing about friends and do things with you. You never know what they're going to say or do or remember. And that's what makes it fun. That is what makes it fun. Yeah. And pimento cheese spread is one of those things I think is loved or hated and probably people that don't like it have only had you know something out of a store deli that maybe maybe isn't as good as what your mom's recipe sounds so wonderful the way it's um very handcrafted and um and uh much more than what you can get can buy at the deli or something so do you remember the grinders that you turned with a handle yeah um my mom had one she used to make ham salad um, that was another one of those oh, sure. right. That fashion would be recipes, right? Um, nothing comes up with the same texture as those hand grinders. Right. Food mills, uh, they just don't do the same. Right. It's not, it's not that same texture. You're right. Which is probably part of what is so enjoyable about your pimento cheese versus uh, any other one that you can get. So. Well, of course, mine is adjusted for, I guess, for the time. I buy a package of, of shredded sharp sharp cheddar mm-hmm. and mix it. I like Wickles relish, which is can be sort of spicy. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, pimentos, and so it's so easy. But you know, my mom had to work at it a little <laughs> bit. She would uh, solicit my assistance also, but uh, it's so easy now because you have things almost sort of prepared for you in advance, like the, mm-hmm. the shredded cheese. So it's not hard. That's, mm-hmm. And in, that's what we need in, in our galley kitchens because it's not particularly easy to cook something. Right. You know, we mentioned our transportation from here to the symphony and how helpful it was. Everybody who works in this place is so helpful to everyone else. And... Several days ago, Mar put in a work request for someone to check his sliding glass terrace door in his bedroom. And two men came up, Don and Tim, yesterday, wasn't it? No, it was Jerry and Tim. Oh, Jerry and Tim, yes. And they worked on that, put new insulation in it. And they're just so pleasant. It's amazing. Well... I could add a little thing here because I, I've really told so many people about this. <clears throat> when we first moved here, there was a little instrument in the chapel, but it, I just wasn't interested at all. I did have a minor in classical organ from college, but I haven't played <clears throat> except for, you know, diddling around with the, the Hammond organ, which I, I owned. And so when... Uh, we were moving here. I wanted to get rid of the Hammond organ, but nobody really wanted to buy it. So I donated it to ERS to use someplace. And I think my chagrin, it's uh, still in a in storage here in Dupree some, someplace. Mm. Nobody's using it. But uh, when I saw the, the addition of the new three-manual organ, mm. I was so amazed. I said, I might not be able to play this because it's been 60 years, but I want to try. And I said, but I don't have any music. And I thought I left all my music in the bench of the the organ, which came here. And Brian Carter, who was our gardener up until Mm -hmm. fairly recently, I asked him, um, someone said that his church might like to have the Hammond organ. And so I asked him about it, and he said, no. And then he said, do you want it? And I said, oh, no, I have a grand piano in the apartment, so there's not room. And 
I said, but the only thing that I would like <clears throat> is the music that I left in the bench. And he said, I know exactly where it is, and I will bring it up to you. So in about 20 minutes, we were back in our apartment, and and Brian came with a hand, an armful of organ music that I had from college. Oh, that's awesome. And so then I, so I was so, I've told this to so many people because I was so impressed with Brian for, I know where it is, I'll help you, I'll bring it to you. And he said, he said, oh, there were a couple of things in the, in the bench that I, I kept out if not knowing about it. If you want them back, I will bring it. And he said they were hymnals. And I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. They're very old and they're yours, so please keep them. Um, and I just thought that was incredible, and I did have a lot of trouble starting the playing the organ again, but it's finally uh, starting to register, and I'm redoing some of my, my college recitals. Um, I still don't like to play for audiences, though. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I was lucky enough. Uh, I did get to hear you play a little bit one day and I feel kind of fortunate, but that's a great story. I'm so glad that you've experienced that the helpfulness of the staff, because I think they're pretty famous for it. Um, but also, I just love that you're um, going back to something that you loved and you've got the time now to to try to dig in there and 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 fire up those uh, memory cells and and remember, you know, you're playing from back in your college days. That's fantastic. Well, there are only two of us who play the organ, and the other is Marilee Atkins, and we don't fight over it at all. She has her time, and I have my time. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. You know, and one of the strange things with this fact that he's doing the organ enjoying it so much it's in order to get to the chapel we pass the temperature desk where they have all these young people who sit there from seven to one and one to seven and we've gotten to know most of them i think every one and, of them and they're we just have the best time with them and they're very responsive and charming and fun well, I'm glad in particular to hear that because I'm related to one of them. So um, that is also very good news to hear Wait, as a mother. <laughs> which, which one? My daughter is Anna, um, and she has... Oh, yes. yes. Uh, well, I think it was <laughs> a couple of days ago, She her hair changes a lot, right? Yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't approach from the front because, you know, from the uh, fitness center, you can get in the little door that goes right, right to the chapel. And so I opened the door and I saw this person sitting there with blonde hair. And I thought, who is that? And then I realized, <laughs> I said, Anna, you aren't going to fool me, even though you have pretty blonde hair now. <laughs> Yes, changing her hair is one of her um, favorite pastimes. So, <laughs> well, good. Well, you know, I love the kids that work there, all of them, including my own. And um, it's been um, wonderful for them to, you know, have a safe, as my, this is one of my things my daughter told me. It's not everybody has a job right now, especially not one that's safe. And so she's felt very safe coming to work there and um, she enjoys it quite a lot while she's in college down at UC. Well, I mean, well, we're both enjoying her and we like Caroline and uh, uh, Wetzel girl. And that's Caroline Wetzel. And uh, let's see, Jake Lamb Lamb is there somewhat. He used to be there a lot and his friend Tyler and they were just I mean, we were tormenting them as, as much as anybody else. <laughs> well, that's good. That's all uh, all in good fun. That intergenerational ribbing is is good for us, too. That's good. <laughs> well, I'm so glad. Um, so, Dean, you mentioned the fitness center. Is there a particular thing that you um, take advantage of there um, with, with your workouts? 
Well, I like to use the treadmill for a while, mm-hmm. and they have some six-strength machines that I always use, but it's not a programmed type of thing. I just right. do what I feel I could do. When we were confined for all that time, Myra and I used to walk outside every day except Christmas Day yeah, for a mile. At least a mile. And the reason we could do that is there were benches here and there because I couldn't walk a mile without resting in between. Mm-hmm. And that made it very nice. And we learned to see all the beauty in the campus here mm-hmm. through the seasons. Yeah. And we also, it turned out to be an interesting way to meet other residents who would be walking. And they have a really nice little gazebo here where we would go and sit for a few minutes and visit with people. It was very different and refreshing to get out. Yeah. it's It was interesting as um, things started to open back up to um, get reacquainted with many of the residents. And so many of them could tell me exactly how many steps it was down a certain hallway or how many times they had to walk certain ways to get to their whatever their goal was a mile or some of them three miles a day and and um very resourceful (laughs) group we have among our residents who um weren't going to let that pandemic slow them down or keep them from getting their steps in so um i was i was pretty impressed with that because i can't uh i can't really say the same for my pandemic um exercise routine it suffered quite a bit (laughs) well i don't know if you anyone has ever told you this, but during that confinement, the plants in the hallways and the rooms here are rented. And of course, the man could not come in to water them because no outsiders were permitted in. So we had a committee that formed here called the Watering Committee because there are a lot of plants here, over a hundred. And every Friday, we'd all have our little area to go and water. And it's incredible how well the plants lasted for over a year. That is good news. I know uh, Robert Evans is um, pretty famous for his plants, and he keeps them so beautiful. So that's wonderful that the resident (laughs) stepped up and and took that on to make sure that they were... We've only uh, met Robert. We've only met him once, and that was when... um, during our lockdown, basically, he was attending to something outside, and I thought maybe that was him. I saw the truck, and we chatted with him briefly. But uh, I every Friday morning, I would load up my... We have a cart, and I filled it with water bottles and uh, went down to uh, the club room, particularly, and I did the balcony over the club room. And uh, it was... It was fun to do, but it was, you know, it was another chore, and and the people who were doing it would would uh, talk to each other and joke, and so that was fun too. That's awesome because you know we know that you do take pride in your community, and that's just a really great example of how you do and and how you care for. Um, the neighbors and the neighborhood, for sure. Well, the plant watering, the watering was fun in a way because when we lived in our house, we had spectacular outside shade gardens. Mm. And when we came here, of course, because we couldn't cope with that anymore, Mm -hmm. we just ended up with balcony gardening. Mm -hmm. So the watering was some interaction with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Continuing that, uh, that gardening and, uh, something I think many of us like to continue on, um, no matter how our, our environment changes, it's one of those, the constant things I hear, um, from so many residents all, all around all of our communities is how much gardening means to them. And a lot of times it has like a lot of memories, um, wrapped in there. Um, it's, it's a great, great, very healthy activity for any of us. Well, we, our garden was, we went down the, into the woods 
And I guess we had about three quarters of an acre that went down to the back end of the woods. And we had uh, walkways. And Dean and I did it all ourselves. And uh, we graveled the walkways. And the gravel had to be pushed from our driveway uh, mm. down in a, <laughs> a wheelbarrow, which wasn't easy. No. But when we got it all finished, the Anderson Garden garden tour started and so we were participants for the the first 12 years of its existence and we had hundreds of people come and see our garden um, every year That's and it was lots of fun because we talked to people and got to know people uh, and they got to know us and when we quit doing it a lot of people said oh no I can't believe you aren't going to be on the garden tour anymore but we made some today. wonderful new friends through that experience yeah, too. absolutely that's great that's great we met a couple get friendly with a couple in Fort Thomas and he just celebrated his 100th birthday and his oh. wife Carol is about 83, I think, and she's an incredibly interesting woman, and they are the kind of people that bring joy into your life just being with them. Yes. And, and we're Ken, so glad we met them. And Ken, even though he's just turned 100 a couple months ago, he's, he's very spry, and he's unable to do a lot of things that he did, you know, three or four years ago, but he still, he's still has that kind of look in his, in his eyes and his voice. He just gets so excited about things. He wants to do everything. That's awesome. Several months ago, we called him and talked to Ken, and he said, you know, now that we can go out more, he said, I feel like going out and kicking my heels up. <laughs> and we well, that's wonderful. We'll just go out and kick our heels up with you. That's good. That's what that that's how you get to be a hundred by never losing that <laughs> that feeling that you're ready to go kick up your heels. That's that's great. Uh, um, and you know, they both had bad things in their lives and heartaches, but they never talk about that. Right. Yeah. Well, that's I think. Um, you know the. The generations, um, I think, have dealt differently with their their trials and tribulations, and we can certainly learn so much from, you know, what they call the greatest generation. It's a they've really, you know, they've seen it all. We should uh, pay attention to how they live their lives because I think they've got some wisdom for us. I think all of that has sort of gone by the wayside in today's society. Yeah, things are not very happy today. But we try to be happy, and when I see people out in the hallway or um, on the sidewalks, and I try to speak and smile and say something silly to make them laugh if I can. <laughs> well, we're so lucky. Our, we are in, on the third level, and we call it the West Wing, West third West floor West. West Wing, and everyone is just spectacularly nice and pleasant and bright mm -hmm. yeah you've got some fantastic neighbors there and i'm glad you're you're not giving up on um keeping your good humor even in the face of some of the things that we're we're all facing right now are a bit ch bit challenging for sure um we've got to keep that understatement yeah <laughs> we've got to keep going though you know we've got to you know <laughs> what works for us so i think you know trying to make other people laugh um, bringing a smile to faces. It's something we, we can never lose sight of. Marv and Dean, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, we've had some great conversation and um, it's, it's nice to be together in this way and to get to know each other a little bit better. Um, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for sharing all your great stories with um, our listeners and um, hope you guys um, have a great rest of your week. Okay. Thank you very much, Kristen. We look forward to seeing you one of these days again. You betcha. <laughs> we will be together very soon. 
Wow, Kristen, what a, a fun conversation with Marvin and Dean. Uh, you know, they certainly personify, you know, taking advantage of all that a retirement community can offer individuals from fitness to the social part of, you know, the connections that they make. It, it's, you know, there really sounds like they're having a ball at Dupree House. Absolutely, Brian. And, you know, they haven't left behind any of that love for entertaining or the arts or, mm -hmm. you know, and even, you know, hearing how Marv was able to um, go back who, you know, had gone to college and uh, studied organ and wow. now is able to play the organ at Dupree House, something that he had never done in years um, wow. to play that type of an instrument. He had a small home organ, but it was nothing like the, the one that they had mm -hmm. there at Dupree House. And he's really been able to, you know, reconnect with, with that part of, you know, something that he really loved doing. So just a, a great example of how, you know, in your retirement years, you can, um, you know, really have a very enriching um, yeah. experience, especially when you don't have the other things in your life to worry about, like, uh, you know, whether or not you've got to shovel the sidewalk today or something. Right. Like that, so. Right. It's definitely easier living for sure. Next up, um, you got to sit down uh, with mm -hmm. our president and CEO, Laura Lamb, and I'm excited to hear what Laura has to tell us um, about wrapping up the year of 2021. So I'm here this week again with President and CEO, Laura Lamb. Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm doing well, Brian. How about you? Good. Happy holidays. I hope your holidays have been uh, a good one. Yes, they have. How about you? Yeah, very nice to spend time with the family and uh, and, and uh, just just enjoy everybody. So it's, it's been nice. Well, you know, with that, it, it's also, you know, we're seeing a, a, a lot of things in our society again with um, with the Omicron variant and a lot of cases. And I know, you know, this is always of a concern in our industry and the retirement communities to make sure we're, you know, having a safe as possible uh, environment for our residents and our staff. But I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, maybe some reminders for, for folks how they might be able to stay safe, you know, with, with the latest surge. Yeah, I tell you, it's the question of the day, but I do feel like a broken record, Brian. I mean, nothing's really changed and it it's um, it can be so frustrating because in the scheme of the things, it's really very simple practices of infection control right. and it's within our control. So number one, please, please, please don't wait to get your booster. Please don't wait to get your booster. Mm -hmm. Go on to Walgreens or Kroger or CVS today. And even if you can't get it a, a booster today, get an appointment, get an appointment because um, that's a key component. Be Getting your booster shop increases that effectiveness of the vaccine. And for those of us that got our first shot in January, it's been almost a year. So we need that. Right. And we can see that playing out in our organization that those that are delaying getting their booster shots are much more likely to get this variant. And, and we don't want you to get it because we want you to be healthy and strong. And the right. other two things are masks. Um, you know, uh, there's not a, a store or a business or a restaurant that I go into without my mask. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, of course, the store's signage says if you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear it. Well, you know, um, I want to do everything in my power to prevent me getting it, me giving it to my family, right. me giving it to our residents. So I wear a mask every time I'm out in public. I don't care where I'm at. Right. And breakthrough and breakthrough cases are being found, whether it's Absolutely. in Delta or the new Omicron. Um, exactly. Exactly. Well. So. You know, wearing a mask, particularly in the winter, is not bad at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I wear my masks yep. um, at the Bengals game, game wearing my mask. Right. Um, I don't care. And then the third or the last thing is, you know, social distancing, you know, making sure that, you know, you're washing your hands, social distancing and mm -hmm. wearing your mask. Those three have been consistent um, for the last year and just encourage everyone to get their booster 
and then to uphold those three really basic um, infection control strategies. Yeah, yeah. And it's been also been interesting in the news. We, we've just heard that, um, that, that there's some new guidance about healthcare workers returning to the job and, and kind of the role that government's playing, you know, in, in it, it almost feels like it's it, there were not less necessarily closing down, but really trying to get some smart strategies to keep the world going. Is that kind of what you're seeing with some of the more recent kind of regulatory guidance that you're seeing? I, I see it a little differently. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I think the strategies that healthcare workers have been given mm-hmm. is shortening the time that staff have to be off. Right. Um, and that is really because there's a labor sh- shortage in healthcare across right. the country. Right. So, you know, if you're the government um, and hospitals and nursing homes are saying we can't, it's hard to staff without illness. You know, their guidelines are helping us get people back to work sooner because we're in a healthcare labor crisis right now, Brian. So um, we have to have as many workers as possible in our communities and our hospitals because there's a shortage. There are people that are leaving healthcare because of um, the labor issues, the fact that you can work in non-healthcare and make more money. Um, you know, if you feel, if you refuse to get the vaccine, then that, um, you know, healthcare, you can't work in healthcare, which I think is a good thing because you need to have the vax be vaccinated to work in healthcare, but it's kind of this vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the labor market is, is a key part of that, that is really, um, having a lot of organizations struggle right now. Yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly, uh, you know, concerning with the numbers and we'll just all have to hope and pray that, uh, you know, this, this latest surge is, is maybe quick and, and uh, I, you know, we, we, I know we need to learn to live with this virus. Um, so, you know, my hearts and prayers are out for, for our, our country and the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, even, even beyond hopes and prayers, just, just, I just ask everybody to do their part, um, yeah. get your booster, wear yeah. your mask, um, all those basic things. We, we, we've got to, you know, frankly, it's up to all of us to do that so that we can learn to, as you said, live with this terrible virus. Right. Right. Well, in talking about learning to live with this terrible virus, you know, I know you have a lot of th- uh, and, and the servant leadership team and the organization has a lot of, um, you know, thoughts about moving forward, living with the virus. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the strategies and priorities going into 2022 so that our, our listeners and our residents and their families can all have a kind of an idea how ERS is approaching uh, a, a life, you know, with COVID. That's a really good question. Our, our certainly our strategic planning process was a little bit different this year, wasn't it, Brian? It sure was um, because of COVID and and frankly the uncertainty that that you know a different variant might put on what we can and cannot do. So right. true to ERS's kind of um, mission and our values is that we you know really want to put our residents and our staff first. Um, And we did that in the form of our top strategic plan, which is to really the the top strategy for this organization can will continue in in 2022 to really be to protect our residents and figure out how to live, as you said, with this with this um, virus longer term. So that means, number one, making sure that we uh, complete the ECH master plan. Um, because that's critical to Episcopal Church Homes ongoing success. And it's been challenged by having, you know, construction and, um, you know, shutdowns during um, a COVID time and a construction period, but we, we're almost there. We're, we're yeah. going to finish the master plan in 22. And that, like I said, is critical to ECH's success. 
Mm-hmm. The other priority within this strategy is just to, to really figure out how we're going to continue to provide services in the future. You know, there have been a number of services that we were unable to uh, continue, whether that be in-person activities for a portion, you know, uh, dining, having families in for Mm -hmm. different experiences. And in 2022, we believe we're going to have to figure out how to restore our service levels Mm -hmm. and restore our occupancy levels um, to pre-COVID times. We, We have to do that for the for the well-being of you know the financial well-being of our organization, but also the well-being of our residents um, and our staff. So we we need to focus on that, mm-hmm. and that really kind of ties us back to what I said about the very tough labor market. Right. Some of our other initiatives in this is in this strategy is just really making sure that we are putting an emphasis on our staff, um, whether that mean be related to wages or benefit package mm-hmm. for the staff that are, you know, on the front lines caring for our residents each and every day. Right. So it's it's a different strategy, but I think it really reflects the priorities that we have to have as a healthcare organization right. uh, that we're still in a pandemic and we still have, you know, people getting sick and, you know, the folks that we serve are still the most vulnerable Um, we kind of can't lose sight that, um, we're not back to the way things used to be. Right. Yeah. There's certainly some, some challenging headwinds out there, but I, and I, I know just like many other organizations, whether inside our industry or in different types of industries, they're seeing similar issues, but that strategic planning that, you know, you lead and, and our, our strategy committee and our servant, uh, servant leadership team members, I think really goes a long way to saying how important this is in our organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can't, we can't just, you know, it's a yes and, right? Mm-hmm. We can't, we can't just say, oh, things are back, not back to normal. So therefore we're just going to, you know, deal day to day. We, right. you know, we have to, we have to do the day to day. We have to do Mm-hmm. Um, the COVID, we have to make sure that our staff are are strong and our residents are stay safe. But at the same time, we do have to look forward to the future. Otherwise, we'll just really stay still, won't we? Right. So we have to do both. Right. And that's, I think, what I've always, I, I've loved about ERS is always trying mm-hmm. to move forward, right. um, even through difficult times. Right. We're seeing now. I think it's even more important during difficult times. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. No doubt. Sure. Well, and, and I know, you know, those are kind of our top two um, priorities, but, um, you know, it's, it sounds like we've got some other things. There, there's been some leadership transitions and, and you know, reimagining our, our, our ministry programming um, and, and also growing middle market are, are, are still things that we need to advance as an organization as well, correct? Right, all included in the uh, strategic plan for this coming year. So it'll be exciting. Yeah. An exciting year. Great. Well, Laura, thank you again for, for joining us this week. And I just want to wish you a very happy new year and, uh, you know, as much, as much progress, uh, can be made in, 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 uh, 2022. Absolutely. Thank you, Brian. Happy new year to you as well. Thanks so much. Well, Brian, um, there were some some notes I've heard before from Laura, but you know, also some new and exciting things on the horizon. You know, we just have to look at 2022 as uh, you know through the lens still of COVID. We can't um, let our guard down. You know, we've been vigilant this long. We can we can keep doing it a while longer. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's you know so much to still be diligent about as we we learn to live with this you know with COVID and. But, you know, the, the thing I'm proud, and I mentioned this in my conversation with Laura, is that ERS is a very strategic organization uh, in light of COVID and despite COVID. And, you know, it's in time like these that really having uh, the strategy and the actions in place to, to support the strategies, are, it, it's really comforting to know that, you know, we're going to be doing everything we can to, to, to match these these headwinds that are out there that, you know, aren't just affecting us, but, you know, others in our industry and, and many other industries throughout uh, our country. So 
I know uh, she and, and the rest of us in the SLT and the whole organization will be working really hard on that this year. It's kind of speaking about uh, SLT, we have a new servant leadership team member, uh, Beverly Edwards, that has just joined us in the past week following the retirement of Jenny Yuland, and, and Beverly will be our new Vice President of Residential Housing, and I'm so excited to, to have this conversation. She's been a partner for many years as we've worked together down at ECH, but now in her elevated role as our new VP of residential housing. I'm so excited to have this conversation with Beverly. So we're here again this week with our new vice president of residential healthcare, Beverly Edwards. Hi, Beverly. How are you? Hi, I'm doing great, Brian. How are you? Good. Happy holidays. I hope you had a good holiday with your family and Looking forward to an ever even better 2022. Yes, indeed. We had a wonderful time with family and friends and looking forward to all that 2022 has to bring. I'm so excited to have you, especially in light of taking over your new role just about a little over a week ago as the new vice president and member of the servant leadership team. And so I was wondering if you could describe your new role to our listeners. My responsibilities um, coming into this new position is to provide overarching leadership to the CCRCs uh, within our organization. Mm-hmm. Um, from my previous role as senior executive director, I'm very familiar with our campus, um, our Episcopal Church home campus in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Um, but I need to learn more about our Cincinnati campuses, Marjorie P. Lee and Dupree Cottages and Dupree House. Mm-hmm. So initially, I'll begin um, with just that, learning more about uh, the inner workings of our Cincinnati communities. Every community has a life of its own, um, even though we're part of the same organization and we have the same culture, we carry those out differently in every community. So I'm looking to learn that um, and also to support the administrators and the sales teams within those organizations. Yeah, you kind of hinted at that, but every each community has a little bit of different mix of services and personality, and it's kind of fun to, to get to know the, the different people and, and uh, whether it's residents or staff at each, each location. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm thankful that even as Senior Executive Director, I had the opportunity to spend some time in the Cincinnati communities because mm-hmm. I've already noticed um, some differences within those communities. And, um, you know, as I continue to work more closely with the staff in those communities, I'm looking forward to learning more. Yeah. And you've been on the risk management team for the last several years and really gotten to know a lot of the other leaders, administrators within the organizations. So you have pretty good familiarity with, with that group of folks going into this. Oh, absolutely. And that's extremely helpful. Um, as an a former um, administrative right. record and executive director within um, ERS. You know, I worked very closely uh, with the other administrators as we're all risk managers within um, the organization. So that's very, very helpful um, coming into this new role um, to already have those relationships established and to also already have an idea of how um, those individuals work. Right, right. So, you know, you spent many years as the executive director at the Episcopal Church Home and leading a, a quite large healthcare footprint and organization. A lot, you know, I think it was almost 200 healthcare beds and, and 62 independent living uh, patio homes. What are some of the maybe lessons that you take from that role and maybe some of your previous administrator roles uh, coming into the, to, uh, to this vice president? position? In every role that I have had the opportunity to serve in, um, the first first thing I like to do is learn the communities. Um, As I mentioned earlier, each community has a life of its own, and I like to understand the day-to-day flow of it, even though I understand the overall culture of it. You know, there are some things that are done a certain way for a certain reason, um, and I like to 
I like to understand those things. It is not my style at all to come in to make and make a lot of changes. I'm here to listen and to learn. I'm also one that um, I gravitate to reporting and to data. Um, I like to review and understand data and then corroborate what I think I understand with um, the administrators and other staff members within um, those particular organizations. Mm-hmm. So you've been in this this industry, what, 19 years now? I, so, you know, what drew you to, to senior care and senior living? Yes, I can't believe it myself that, that it's been 19 years. Mm-hmm. Um, what drew me to this uh, career? Well, As a young teen, I had an opportunity to care for both my maternal and paternal grandmothers. And, you know, those experiences just, I believe, you know, impacted me for life. Uh, One of my grandmothers had Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And um, so I learned very quickly um, to just cherish the moments um, that I had with her when she was um, quite lucid. And I also learned how to work with this individual that seemed different, didn't at all seem like my grandmother when, Mm -hmm. you know, the uh, disease or the condition progressed. So that was something that helped me earlier on um, in my life. And then um, after I graduated from Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi, uh, with my bachelor's in healthcare administration, I completed an internship with the Tennessee Hospital Association. And I was placed at St. Francis Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. And after spending the entire summer rotating throughout various departments within the hospital, mm-hmm. I was able to spend three days in their uh, post-acute center that was attached uh, mm-hmm. to the hospital. And it was in those three days that really solidified my decision to go into nursing home administration. Um, I really liked the aspect of being able to develop relationships with those individuals we serve and to also um, understand, you know, that these are individuals that were once um, out in the workforce and have a lot of wisdom, no- wisdom and knowledge um, to share. And, you know, I just feel like they should be honored and they should be well cared for. And, you know, just like I said, in those three days, coupled with the time that I spent with my grandmothers and caring for them as a young teen, it just solidified my decision to serve in agent services. Well, just just knowing you and that that mothering quality you have as it is, I know this was a, a great fit from a career standpoint. So we're so glad that that you did uh, choose this calling uh, uh, for for you. Um, one of the other things I wanted to ask, you know, as I mentioned, you know, you you had a, a had a long tenure as the executive director at ECH um, before taking on this role. And I, I know how much quality care has meant to you and, and the reputation that ECH surely had in the community down there was reflected by that. But what, what does, and, and, and Marjorie and Dupree, Marjorie, Dupree uh, Marjorie P. Lee and Dupree House subsequently also have very good reputations in the Cincinnati market. But what I wanted to know, what, what does quality care mean to you? Well, quality of care uh, means that we are we are allowing this resident to live their best life because they do not have to worry about the medical services that they are receiving. Mm-hmm. You know, our residents have, from my perspective, have um, have given you know selflessly and made their contributions. Mm-hmm. And they still have more to contribute. Why they still have more to contribute, I'd like for our residents to focus on those things that bring them joy, that bring them happiness, and let us worry about, you know, their medical care. When they're able to do that, and when they're able to do that, then I feel like, 
you know, we're we're doing what we're meant to be, which is, you know, to take care of residents. Of course, when I say this, uh, residents still do play a part in their care. They have, you know, a say because we want to make sure that their needs are met. But I want my residents or our residents to focus on what they're going to do for enjoyment mm-hmm. rather than work rep focusing on whether or not they're going to get their medications on time or, you know, they're going to get some treatment on time. That's our responsibility. And when they're able to let go of that and just leave that in our hands and have confidence and assurance that those things are happening, then I feel like we're delivering quality of care. Now, I am an administrator at heart, and so I know that there are reports that we can look at. But at the end of the day, I want to make sure that our residents feel cared for, feel important, feel valued. Um, and once, once we're doing that, I believe that we're delivering quality care. Right, and that's so reflected in those consistently high Medicare ratings, all the communities bring in year in, year out. But that really leads into the philosophy that ERS expects at all of its communities about person-centered care. You talk about people really enjoying their lives and being engaged. And can you talk about that importance of delivering person-centered care for residents and what that might mean for family their family members? Well, delivering person-centered care, you know, meets the residents' expectations. Mm-hmm. It's meeting not only the residents' expectations, but also the family members' um, expectations. You know, our goal and our vision throughout ERS is to take the institution out of our care mm-hmm. uh, that we're delivering to residents. And there are certain um, idiosyncrasies that all of us have. And when our caregivers know what they are, then it means the world to us. It, it, it emphasizes how important we are um, as an individual. Uh, we're not just grouped and, you know, generalizations are not just made about our care. There's a focus on what we want as individuals and not just the collective. Very, very, very well said. And and I think I, I'll wrap up the interview with just kind of this last question. You know, as you look out on your career and your hopes and desires for what you can accomplish for, you know, our residents and our families and our staff, what would you want to look back on and, and say, well, you know, we we really set out to what we accomplished and did something special here? I want our residents to be able to say that you know, they have lived their best life. Mm -hmm. You know, they um, came to our communities because they enjoy retirement living and their focus was on doing those things that they enjoy, knowing that their medical care was going to be taken care of, knowing that if there was an emergency, that they were in good hands. Um, And if our residents... Uh, and family members have that sentiment. I feel like we've done, we've done our, we've done our jobs. You know, we've taken care of our responsibilities. Well, very well said, Beverly. And thank you so much for joining us this week. And happy New Year, happy 2022. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. It is so nice to see Beverly around Cincinnati these days. Of course, we've all gotten to know her through her leadership in Louisville and the master plan, which Mm -hmm. is coming along so nicely. But uh, recently, um, I've gotten to see her around our Cincinnati communities, and I just know Beverly is going to be just a, a really good addition to our servant leadership team. Yeah, she, you know, as I said before, she's always been a great partner and um, she's just a lovely individual. Um, She's so good with our staff, our residents, family. She knows our business, our industry, the regulations inside and out. Um, She's just a wonderful leader. So really looking forward to to working with her for many more years to come. And uh, and of course, she's just just a wonderful person. So as you can see in that podcast. 
Well, that's it for this latest uh, episode of the Linkage Podcast by Episcopal Retirement Services. For more information about us, you can visit our website at episcopalretirement.com. We have lots of great content, including our Linkage online blog, uh, the resources to learn about aging and the services we offer, and so much more. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube to see what's going on within ERS and our communities. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please email us at info at erslife.org. The Linkage Podcast is produced by Kristen Davenport and Brian Reynolds. I'd like to thank our guests today, Dean Colville, Marv Collins, and Beverly Edwards. And a special thank you, as always, to our president and CEO, Laura Lamb. On behalf of myself, Brian Reynolds, and Kristen Davenport, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to our podcast next week. Thanks so much, Kristen. Brian, see you in the new year.